It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here. He has a creepy thought. We'll talk a little bit more about prison, about a, a, a form of SSL that provides perfect forward secrecy, a defense against his creepy thought. We'll also look at Microsoft's Patch Tuesday and a rather large number of patches. It's all coming up next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. It's time for Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 412, recorded July 10th, 2013, SSL and Perfect Forward Secrecy. Security Now is brought to you by Audible.com. To download the free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash security now. And by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network, a VPN, that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the offer code SN20. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you, your loved ones, your privacy online with this man here, the explainer-in-chief, Mr. Stephen Tiberius Gibson. <laughs> a man who loves flowers and all things nature. Okay. <laughs> One of those statements is a lie. Um, hey, Steve, how are you? Great, Leo. Good to see We're gonna you. We're going to have man. a good episode uh, today. I, it just this is this is one which is just I think right in the sweet spot of of the kind of thing that this podcast does really well because it combines relevance. And technical depth without probably losing the bulk of our audience in the depth of, of the technical. Um, and anyway, I'm really happy about Good. this because there's just there's, there's so many angles at which we can approach this. And I've, as a consequence of thinking about this and and what we're and some of the mysteries we still have about the NSA, I have a a new, really creepy idea to propose. Um, and I th I'm okay doing it because they've probably already thought of it. I just want to um, show you something because, you know, there was another prism slide that came out today. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the word upstream collection of communications on fiber cables and infrastructure as data flows past? Yep. And it, yep. But what's interesting, it says you should use both upstream and prism collection directly from the servers of these u.s yeah. service providers and, you know i haven't ever mentioned this but does anyone realize well I'm, i mean our audience we have a lot a ton of savvy computer people there is no standard about any company's so-called back end you know facebook just made it up google made it up apple has their own uh you know, Twitter does their own thing. I mean, none of these are the same. So, so in order, if, you know, if if we're to believe 
what we're being told. And actually, the theory I have today is really creepy um, and and sort of solves this problem, believe it or not, as, as we'll see. Um, but it would require like like a custom from scratch interface individual for every in, every separate company's back end i mean the idea that that you could you could have a a third party uh, connection to a completely random database architecture is is i mean it, it is by itself far fetched uh, it, to me it just it stretches the you know, credibility the idea that well and and the other thing that you could contain that information that it would be a huge project that would deeply involve all of the database engineering and infrastructure engineering of a private company in order to disclose and design for a third party a means to access their their completely designed for themselves database i mean it's it's really infeasible to to suggest that this that that's what's happening so i mean maybe that's why it took a long time i think this thing was stretched out over time because they had to build you know upstream monitoring for each of these companies one at a time maybe though i mean if we if we really believe this and and then of course you have the real problem with squaring these flat out denials maybe I'm naive, and in fact, the CEOs are protected. They feel they're both ethically and morally, and certainly they are legally protected by the letters that they've received from the government. But, but you know, these these secrets are hard to keep. I mean, it's like the wingnuts that think 9-11 was, you know, actually created by the U.S. You, you can't keep that kind of secret. I just, you know, I don't believe that. But... But, but this kind a project this size, how could it, if it were true that there was that much involvement? My, my point is, it's it's serious engineering to to create that kind of connection. Whereas it is trivial to do it upstream. That is, as as we proposed to collect on the fiber. Now, even then. The like the form data, the web data w- would that would require enough engineering. That is uh, that that's where I could see it taking time. So you know, so for example, yes, you tap Google upstream. Well, you still have to write interpreters for all of the web queries and web pages going back and forth to strip out all the HTML and to lock on to the email content amid all of the other debris that is that is passing by so so that could explain you know what was going on by by government engineering absent any private corporation engineering it just it just re- I, the way I, the, as i've been thinking about what it would take to quote you know to actually create that kind of tap it's just like I, yeah, okay I, it seems unlikely to me even even with the cooperation of the companies involved you could well, have a guy you could dedicate a guy full time no, lock no, him no, in a room and say hey no, make an interface no, for the NSA but it wouldn't no no it wouldn't be a guy it would be a team, be a team. these are massive systems that yeah. facebook and google and apple and and i mean and they're not even they're 
they're they're not homogeneous. They're heterogeneous. These things have evolved over time. They've got random databases from different companies that they, oh, and oh, oh well, well, the keys are being stored over here because we were doing that in Oracle at the right, time, but now right. we're over <laughs> here on, on SQL from right. blah, 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 blah. I mean, they're, they're a disaster. And the idea that you can just, you know, create an interface to that is, to me, it's, I'm, I'm skeptical, and that you could keep it secret. But anyway, I have something to propose that is really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, continuing in the uh, really in the uh, in the vein totally of this is feasible. the show designed to scare you with facts. <laughs> totally feasible yeah. and probably Good. happening. And Good. I wouldn't mention it if I didn't think it was probably already happening, because otherwise I would not want to give them the idea. So I don't think I'm giving oh, great. them the idea. It's really creepy. Hey, before we uh, go much farther, and today we're going to, uh, just briefly we should say, cover per something that you mentioned last week, which is SSL and perfect forward secrecy, which is implemented by some. Actually, it's, we'll, we'll get into it deeply. It is available and has been like, actually, perfect forward, forward secrecy predates Netscape's creation hmm. of SSL. Wow. So the concept is old. And the problem is, it's once again, it's one of these things where both ends have to agree. And therein lies the problem. Because, for example, IE absolutely doesn't support it. Yeah. And, and my latest server, uh, uh, server 2008 R2, it... It supports it, and I could offer it, except then I would be vulnerable to the beast attack. And so in order not to get dinged by SSL Labs for, oh, GRC doesn't know what they're doing, you know, they're vulnerable to the beast attack, I have to, I have, I have no choice but to put an RC4 cipher for, in first place, and my server and Microsoft servers don't offer an RC4 cipher with perfect forward secrecy, whereas, for example, Google does. And well, and Chrome understands it, and Firefox understands it. Anyway, it's a really interesting topic, and uh, and not, you know, won't require too much speed on our propeller beanies. Uh, so I think it's going to be good. <laughs> Set your beanies to stun, but we'll do that in a moment. First, <laughs> I want to talk about protecting yourself online with something uh, that we've been uh, talking about for some time. In fact, we had Steve vet it before uh, we started recommending it. It's something called ProXPN, and it is an OpenVPN-based solution designed to keep you and your data safe as it traverses the uh, Internet, safe from prying eyes at your ISPs, for instance. Is your ISP implementing the six-strike stuff? Well, don't worry. They can't see what you're doing. Uh, it gives you... Uh, protection against anybody who might want to look into your data if you're in an open Wi-Fi access spot or at a hotel or an airport. That way, no matter what, your passwords and sensitive data cannot be seen. OpenVPN is well known. It's strong. And uh, ProXPN uses the strongest form of it, a 2048-bit encryption key, a 512-bit encryption tunnel. You can use OpenVPN, but they also, on some mobile platforms which don't support it, well, they'll offer you PPTP, not as desirable, better than nothing. You can use it. It is fantastic. It also gives you a geographical anonymity. ProXPN is a truly global company. We deal with uh, a guy in uh, Thailand. 
I think the company's based in Amsterdam. They have servers everywhere. Singapore, Seattle, London, Dallas, L.A., New York City, Amsterdam, all over the world. Works with all platforms, Windows, every version from XP up to 8, OS 10 on versions 10.6 and higher, iOS and Android 4.0 and higher, Pro XPN. Now, you can try it for free. They have a free version, but the Pro version is the fastest, the best way to work and gives you the most capabilities, the most flexibility. Normally, that's $9.95 a month. $9.95 a month. If you buy the year plan, that's $74.95. Very affordable. But with our special offer, you're going to get 20% off, not for the first month or the first year, but for the lifetime of your account, which uh, on the yearly plan, that means you'll be paying less than 5 bucks a month for complete and utter peace of mind. Secure from everyone. ProXPN.com slash twit. Use our offer code SN20 to get 20% off for security now. SN, security now, 20 for 20% off. Uh, that is a great deal. Try it. ProXPN, a global virtual private network. VPN done right. ProXPN.com slash twit to find out more. Okay, Steve. So, we have just passed another second Tuesday of the month. Match this Tuesday. one's got a, a, a disturbing, a fix for a disturbing problem, which is in the wild, which is pretty much as bad as they get, because even, I don't think even turning off JavaScript would protect you from this. Microsoft uh, has... Seven bags of patches resolving 34 vulnerabilities across all versions of Windows. <laughs> Is that the technical term, bags of patches? Bags of patches. <laughs> yes, they're in bags now. <laughs> Bundles. Um, <laughs> the problem is that true type fonts, which are displayed on web pages, can now take over your computer. Wow. Well, they've always been programs. I think people assume it's just a data set. It's not. Yes. That's actually the real cleverness of TrueType is that um, that the way you render the font, in addition to having just static data, you're, you can provide hints and little algorithm snippets to help the rendering engine. But the fact is, you know, even static data like, you know, PDF documents are able to – if, if you're able to induce a buffer overflow, then you're able to cause your data – to be executed, even if it wasn't ever intended to be executed. I so, seem to remember true type vulnerabilities in the past. This is oh not yeah, the we've first had them. We, yeah. we've had them. And, and by the way, this is an Apple. Uh, well, Apple did it with Microsoft, but Apple really led the charge on true type. I wonder if this true because impacts... remember they were the leaders with the HP laser printer. Right. That with the laser printer was the first, and that was a PostScript based printer right. where you actually sent PostScript down to the printer and it rendered it. Those were the good old days where you know. K were K. <laughs> when you Long were glad time. You, had, you were glad you had 16 Long time K. Ago. And by damn, that's all you needed. Yeah. Well, now you anyway, have a little programs going down the... That's 16 trilobytes and yeah. petabytes. And it's like, okay, yeah. how many zeros is that? But so I remember the, the Type uh, 1 fonts, which were the PostScript fonts, were replaced by TrueType. Yep. Uh, and, and Apple was the first to use them, but Microsoft uh, adopted them pretty early in Windows. And then there's a, like an open, there's an open OTF. format. Yeah. OTF, open, yeah. right. Um, and so eight flaws exist, which have been fixed across the spectrum of Windows, all, all supported versions of Windows, and actually all of the unsupported ones too, but 
those are unsupported, uh, eight flaws, one of which all you have to do is visit a website. And it's interesting. I, I messed with fonts when I was working on the Off the Grid project because I wanted to offer, because people were going to be printing their grids, I wanted to be able to allow you to select fonts for, that you felt were the most visible and legible and had non-ambiguous characters in them because that would be very important. And so I, I bought a bunch of fonts online and my server hosts them. And, you know, you can go to that that off-the-grid page and there's a drop-down list box. You choose fonts. And so this technology is now ubiquitous. It's been supported for many years in across all browsers. And unfortunately, bad guys can craft a evil font and so that you just go to their page your browser downloads the evil font hands it off to the os uh to windows in this case and windows collapses in a way that allows them to execute arbitrary code in your computer thus it's considered a critical a critical vulnerability uh six out of those seven bags of o patches uh are critical this um this month uh, and not to be left out, IE is addressing the IE bag or patch is addressing 17 critical vulnerabilities. So this is one I would put high on the radar. I saw other commentary. Uh, and I wanted to go get see someone r- ranting and raving. So I went over to the register.co.uk and sure enough, they're like, oh, it's the end of the earth and the end of the life as we know. <laughs> oh. They and, they so, are a li- maybe a little uh, dramatic. Uh, dramatic yeah. Uh, um, also, not to be left out, in addition to IE, we have uh, updates from Adobe, both Flash and Shockwave. And I went over to see what Brian Krebs had to say, and I liked what he said. He said, Shockwave? Eh, really? Does anyone still have that installed? <laughs> and, and, he said, and he said, I feel about that the way I do Java. You probably don't need it. You probably should get rid of it because it's just bad if right. it's there. You know, it'll jump up and run if you give it a chance. But if it's not present, it can't. So, you know, get rid of it. Uh, and if you do need Flash for some reason, um, and actually we do, unfortunately, websites still depend upon it. I'm, you know, I chafe. Well, one of my favorite sites um, is nutritiondata.self.com. That's a fabulous site. You uh, Nutritiondata.self.com. You can just... Give it anything. Like I was wondering about cottage cheese the other day. Put cottage cheese in. Oh, well, what kind? Non-fat skim with large curd, small curd, blah, blah, blah. And then it just gives you a complete breakdown if you have flash. So, you know, it's got beautiful charts, which are flash-based, showing you the amino acid spectrum and and where it falls in the, you know, it's got a triangle with fat, protein, and and carbohydrate in the three corners of the triangle, and it places it in that triangle. Anyway, you know, I can't go, I can't really get it on my iPad because the iPad won't do Flash. So it's, you know, there are still some good uses for Flash, but they could certainly implement that all now with HTML5 if they chose to. They just, you know, haven't. Now, okay, the the award winner for the most tweeted to Steve item of the week and there was an even a second place, you know, runner-up here. This one swamped was the problem with CryptoCat. Uh, on... Isn't that ironic? As soon as we recommend it, then <laughs> there's a flaw that's only been there, well, what, seven months to 17 months. We're not, we're not sure. We're not really sure. Um, 
Yeah, and and you know, I liked CryptoCat and because it was the easier to use OTR off the record um client. And there was nothing wrong at all with all of that. Everything that we recommended is absolutely bulletproof well, and fine and always has been. The thing been. that bugs me is I, you know, I'm the guy who says, get open source because then you know it's not, you know, it's secure. It's written right. And I guess nobody was looking at the code or what? I don't know. Well, okay. So here's the deal. Um, the thing that chaps me a little bit is that Stephen Thomas, who did the blog posting to inform us that there was a problem, is just... I mean, I want to use words I can't use on the podcast, so I'll just say jerk. He's, okay. he's a he's a real jerk. Okay, <laughs> he is a real big jerk. Um, big here was an opportunity, jerk, jerk. Big, you know, you know. And if you didn't know that already, he's standing in front of, on one. Of, he's like trying to raise money for some other project that he's dropped already a couple times. No. Standing, looking, he's like done an Al Qaeda style video to to try to. To raise money, like with the with the with the blanket, you know, thumbtack to the wall behind him, and it's like okay, you know, and he's got the beard and everything. Anyway, so uh, maybe this is his sense of humor. Anyway, he, he here was an uh, here was a teachable moment opportunity, and he didn't do that. Uh, you know, he could have earned some esteem in in everyone's eyes. And the other the other real crypto people who I checked in with. We're just kind of saying, yeah, well, you know, you know, I mean, he makes some good points, but he didn't make them very nicely. Um, so here and, and so I think I'm wondering if he made it sound like the end of the world. And I'm and, you know, and for people who who aren't fully up to speed on the technology, you know, they're reading this guy who seems to know what he thinks. I'm sure his mother is very impressed with him um, that that. <laughs> You know, she raised a genius. Okay, good, Mrs. Thomas. So um, I'm not. Uh, but you're right, Leo. Looking at the sane analysis, and I, I should mention that reading Steve's page tells you nothing about what the problems were. He basically is just ranting and laughing and pointing fingers and doing charts of how, of his feeling of how strong this this the group chat has been over time and that's where the problem is it's that that someone who is not a good programmer and certainly not a good javascript programmer did the coding and 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 i will say that javascript is probably the most insanely difficult language to use for crypto that you could imagine because there are no integers. I mean, crypto is about integers. You know, it's it's bits and bytes and words concatenated and you need 128 bits for this and so forth. JavaScript has real values. It doesn't have integers. And, you know, and I've done crypto stuff in JavaScript. I did, you know, famously that um, uh, the off-the-grid uh, project, it the the problem was there are so many possible grids that I couldn't seed a pseudo random number generator with even a large number like two hundred fifty six bits because compared to how many grids are possible, even the number 
of possibilities represented by 256 bits is a fraction. So what I had to create was an, what I called at the time, and our listeners will remember, an ultra-high entropy pseudo-random number generator in JavaScript. And so I carefully wrote one and, and put it in the public domain. It's free for anyone to use. But the other thing that I did, which they could not have done, is I had it dump out megs of random numbers, which I then... I myself tested and I posted them on the website and people in our news groups who fought, were following along all pounded on these, running them through every type of random number, you know, integrity testing software possible. I use Die Hard and Die Harder, and which are like the pretty much industry standards, and it just came out perfect. I mean, absolutely perfect. But if these guys had run their pseudo-random number generator through any, even a, a weak pseudo-random number, you know, randomness test, it would have just, they would have seen spikes that stood out saying, whoa, you know, this is not random. And then they would have looked further. The problem with JavaScript is that you it, everything is a real number, meaning a floating point number, where you have some number of bits of so-called mantissa, which is like, you know, the part you see, the digits, and then an, an additional chunk of exponent. And so the concept is that you can, you can represent a huge range of values because you're with, with, with many digits, many decimal digits of precision because you've got enough bits of mantissa and then you scale that by a, a, a large enough signed exponent, which can be, you know, negative, whatever it is, 128 to positive 128. So it's that mantissa raised to that exponent. So it's for, for, you know, normal sorts of things, it's easy to do, but you have to be incredibly careful if you're going to do like stuff that really pushes JavaScript. I actually, in my code, used all 53 bits of the mantissa. So I was do I, I basically I couldn't do what I, what would have been convenient would have been to do like thirty two bit math or you can't get sixty four bit math, but thirty two bits I could have done. But you know fifty three were there. I wanted to use them all, and I did. And I was really careful. But you have to be really careful. And and to give you a sense for that any that our listeners will be able to understand of a one of the mistakes these guys made. And it's it's just it's you again it's lack of being really careful where it counts. We've talked about often the need in crypto for good pseudo random numbers. It is a it's a fundamental requirement that you're going to have secrets. The secret is going to be generated on the fly, and this podcast is going to later on is going to be about that too. If the secrets generated on the fly from pseudo-random number generators, or if you have them, random number generators. And the latest Intel chips, the Sandy Bridge chips, and I'm sure all few future chips have a very cool actual random number generator, not pseudo any longer, built right into the Intel core. So, that, and there's an instruction. You can say, give me a ray, an actual random number. But doesn't all, aren't all algorithmically based random numbers pseudo? I mean, how... 
No, because you can use physical properties of quantum physics. So it's using like where, chaos theory to generate. Yeah, it's it's actually using it's it, it's using, for example, one of the actual random number generators uh, is to reverse BIOS what's called a tunnel diode, and there's actual there's if if you put a, a a reverse bias across the diode it will not conduct but every so often an electron that is being will it, there is a charge there pulling the electrons across but the diodeness prevents it but every so often one goes through but you never know when it's completely unpredictable and so you could you could create then hardware around that tiny little bit of actual Quantum physics that is cool. to yeah. to create un un completely unpredictable, true random numbers that will never repeat that are not algorithm based. And Intel built that into the silicon from Sandy Bridge on. Wow, so it's neat. But you can't um, count on that in uh, in software. You gotta. Well, it. sometimes there's a problem, which is you that the and oh, and the other cool thing about this is it is high bandwidth. And that's key because there have been low bandwidth random number generators. For example, you could use the, the turns out you can use the timing of the various clocks in the PC because there's there's there, there are phase lock loops that 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 synchronize crystal clocks in a PC, and there's noise generated that is also truly random. The problem is it's not much. It's, you know, many times, for example, a big server, which is, which is really busy creating tons of SSL connections per second, it, it has, it's hungry for randomness. It's consuming ran, the, 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 like the pool of randomness in the server at a high rate. So, so you, need to, you need to be able to be adding more entropy at the, at the rate that it's being consumed by the, by the way that the server's operating. So, so what, often happen, what, what often is done is that random numbers are used to seed pseudo-random gen number generators. So the PRNG, the pseudo-random number generator, is able to run at very high speed algorithmically, and then it's constantly being reseeded at a, at a lower bandwidth rate, but still enough that the entropy never drains out of the entropy pool in the pseudo-random number generator. Enough new entropy is being is trickling in to keep things completely unpredictable. Anyway, you know, really smart guys have thought about this and and figured out how to do it. It's very cool stuff. An example in CryptoCap, and this is again, this is the group chat implementation. This is not in one-to-one -one chat at all. There's no problem. No. Never been and a problem. We should point out it's been patched. Oh, immediately. Yeah. Yes. And if you use two point one or later, you're fine. Yes, has been patched. I mean, the, I like the crypto cat guys. I went back over there, read their responses. I, I just I get a good feeling from them. I just think they're they're neat people. I think they were unnecessarily hurt by the by the approach that Steve Thomas took, which was just mean, mean-spirited. It wasn't, it wasn't fair. And, by the way, all of group chat is over SSL. So it's entirely encrypted by SSL anyway. So there, I mean, there never was a problem. No one eavesdropping could know what you were chatting about. 
because it was it's as secure as SSL, which is what we're using as our only security on all of the internet now. So anyway, so this was much this was very much a tempest in a teapot. You know, it's a little bit like we're going to give you a belt and suspenders. And then you find out that, well, the clasp on the one of the suspenders isn't as good as you thought. And so you scream about it. It's like, well, yeah, but you got a belt. It's like, well, okay. So, yes, you did promise suspenders as well. I understand that. So um, <laughs> so I have trying to get this one example out um, because this is, a, this is something really a, a perfect example. At one point in the CryptoCat JavaScript source, they're using a very good stream cipher called Salsa, Salsa 20. And, and from that, they pull random bytes, random 8-bit bytes. Now, for their purpose, they need random digits, 0 to 9. Now, they have a problem because the byte can have any of 256 possible values and but they need to turn that into zero to nine which is one of ten and ten doesn't divide evenly into 256 meaning that there's no there's no correct that there's no good way to to easily convert the byte value that they get into a digit decimal digit value so that the digits are equally represented and there that's a problem think about it there you got 256 combinations coming out of the you know in, in a byte coming out of a good pseudo random number generator from the salsa 20 stream cipher but now you want to turn it into an, you want to change the range from 0 to 255 to 0 to 9 but it doesn't divide evenly. Well, I've faced this problem before in the in the um, per, per, perfect paper perfect paper passwords system, and there are good ways to do it. Um, they should have divided by ten, which would have given them a remainder zero to nine, and then and then but take it, but kept the result, and and then added another byte to the high end as they as they consumed the the dividend put more bytes on the high end and always simply dividing by 10 to pull out to extract a range 0 to 9. They did not do that. What they did was they said, if the value is less than or equal to 250, we'll accept it. So that means they're throwing away six of the values and keeping... Um, they thought 250, but that was a mistake because they forgot about zero. They said, I want it, they, they said less than or equal to 250. <laughs> that's kind that's, of a boneheaded mistake. That's 251 <laughs> values. Yeah. So then they divided that by 25 in order to get, they thought, an equally distributed range from zero to nine but unfortunately, um, one of those numbers, because it wasn't actually 250 that they were then dividing into, in, into 10 buckets, it was 251. Mm. So that skewed the random number generator enough 
that if you if you looked at it, if you like use their random number generator and just put up pixels, you could see a pattern in the numbers it was generating, and that's bad. And if they had, and my point was, they didn't test, and you have to test. I mean, that it's test, 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 test. All along the way, had they had they ever taken numbers out of that where it was crucial that they be a evenly distributed random set and run them through any random number generator or random number randomness tester, it would have they would have seen spikes and they would have said, "Whoa, we have a problem here." So anyway, it you know, so so there was a mistake there, but also the idea. Of taking a bite and discarding some that you don't like, it just feels wrong. And technically, it's an infinite loop. Think about it. That the salsa generator could be spitting out numbers greater than two hundred and fifty. I mean, there's not much chance of a long run of them, but it's just not good code. So, so in that ass in that area, I, I would hold their feet to the fire a little bit and say, yeah, you know, you guys maybe need. But and this comes back to your point, Leo. In February, they put up a, a a program offering a bounty for people who found errors, and it took until the fourth of July for Stephen, unfortunately the least graceful uh, hacker you could <laughs> conceive of, to to take a look at their code and then you know really take them to task over it. So, um, a good it's a, you know certainly a good lesson. The stuff we talked about, the point-to-point crypto using off-the-record, and the fact that off-the-record, they have an implementation of it, bulletproof, um, and all the other uh, chat clients that support off-the-record are going to be similarly bulletproof. And even the group chat was over SSL. So it was never really true that that their data could be uh, decrypted by anybody who doesn't have access to SSL. And incidentally, or coincidentally... This podcast's topic, once we get through with news, is about some creepy things having to do with access to SSL. And speaking of secure chat, there's a new game in town or coming to town that really looks nice to me. Um, and Leo, I'd like you to play this video. This is from a group called Hem or creating a product called Hemless, H E M L I S. And it, the website is H-E-M-L dot I-S. And the word hemless means secret in Swedish. That's why we decided to build a messaging platform where no one can spy on you, not even us. Our system is based on end-to-end encryption. Only you and your friend can read what you write. We're using existing, proven technology to build the most secure, fast, and reliable service possible. Usually, security results in complexity. The only way to build something secure for everyone is to make it user-friendly. This is why we are building a simple and beautiful user experience. Other apps are funded by ads or selling your data. There is a saying, if you are not paying for it, you are the product. We're interested in helping, not selling users. That is why we need you to fund Hemlis. So there's the uh, pitch video. H e l h e m l dot i s is the website, and it looks like it's Android or iPhone. It's a mobile platform. Correct, a mobile platform, point to point. 
Uh, it's beautiful looking. This is not hard to do. Uh, it's three guys, uh, and Peter Sund, S-U-N-D-E, he was one of the co-founders of the Pirate Bay. Oh, um, interesting. And so he's one of the guys and two others. Um, they're looking to raise $100,000. It's very clear they're going to shoot past it. I, I went for the vanity uh, uh, <laughs> contribution of 50 bucks because I'm quite happy to have my name in the product. I, uh, this thing neat. looks like a nice piece of work. A couple hours ago, they were at 60K, 6-0. They're at 71,000 now. 73,579 oh, at the wow. moment. They went up yeah. some more, yeah. Um, I, I, I tweeted about them after I gave them my money saying, you know, this thing looks like the right thing. I mean, this is what we need. Um, I, you could certainly argue that you... that that this is going to happen independent of these guys. I mean, it's clear now that a consequence of, I mean, j just the fact, for example, that CryptoCat was, had such a bright spotlight uh, shine on it was as a consequence of the, the huge interest which has occurred, um, you know, the, the, the increase in interest as, as a consequence of the whole NSA. Uh, and now we know not only the UK, but France is also in the doghouse over this too. Now, this is anyway, not this, is this an open source it is not an open source project. I don't know. It's probably not. Um so that to me, I you know, despite the issue with CryptoCat, I think yeah. actually CryptoCat's an example of the success of open source. Oh, I agree. I mean, yes, I mean the fact that it was looked at and it you know, again, it, it took it a while really longer than you'd like, but uh, nevertheless yep. discovered Yep. Uh, and I think that and, you can never be sure with something that's closed source. That's my only qualm about yeah, that. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a, that, that's a reasonable concern. And, um, and, and I think we will end up with open source solutions. I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, that I like ProXPN is basically they are an anchor for OpenSSL. And and we know we I mean sorry Open VPN and we know Open VPN. I mean that's really I'm if if they were just another random VPN provider with a private system, it's like okay, well, good luck. You know they're <laughs> they're they're going to be as good as others, but you know, but instead we know what they are. We know right. that they're you know an an Open VPN anchor. So right. to me that that means something. And you know somebody tweeted me earlier saying, Steve, you know we need CryptoLink more than ever. And I thought you know. At this point, obviously, I'm committed to SpinRite. I'm doing nothing other than SpinRite. You are on the right track, but uh, others have really jumped in on this. Yes. Um, but, you know, no one has yet made a VPN that works the way CryptoLink would. And the only thing I, the only way I would do it now is is to open source it and make it free. Good. So, you know, maybe Good. if I have a chance after SpinRite. When you're um, retired. Will, I'll still do it. <laughs> they say, by the way, in their uh, blog post, we have all intentions of opening up the source as much as possible for scrutiny and help. That doesn't mean it's open source, by the way. Correct. Um, so, yeah. so, you know, all intentions does not open source make. And open yeah. source has a particular technical meaning that just saying, hey, we're going to look for scrutiny and help does not satisfy. So I would say it's not an open source project at this point. Well, yeah, although you, you still have the problem then of, I mean, then well, this is the debate that we've had is... Then, I mean, if you're really going to go to the mat, 
you have to take the source yourself and scrutinize it, it yeah. yourself and <laughs> compile it yourself yeah. Yeah. on a on a on a on a clean room computer where you installed the OS yourself on hardware that you built from scratch where no components came from China and and you have to really start by getting a bucket of sand from the beach and synthesizing <laughs> oh, come on synthesizing <laughs> I silicon I guess you're right it could be in the silicon I mean, yes yeah. yeah you know so yeah at some point you know, even if it's open source, you're still downloading an app that had to be digital, had to be signed, and cannot be changed. And of course, that takes us to the next trouble, which is that for that 900 million Android devices, ever since at least version 1.6, which was the donut build of Android, have had a flaw which allowed any of their apps to be changed into malware without violating the digital signature on the app. So there again, I mean, it's like, okay, you know, and I should point out that the, this was uh, publicized in, in uh, February by March, Google had patched the play store and, yes. uh, and they had patched the code that scanned third party stuff in Android. So it's, it's highly yes. likely as long as you're getting stuff from the play store, it's highly likely this is not going to bite you. Yes, it was responsibly disclosed yeah. by Blue Box Security uh, that were a, a, a security research team back in February, yes, yeah. of, of this year. Um, and um, and Samsung they still have a published has, code and won't till uh, next month in Black Hat. Correct. At, well, the, at the end of this month, uh, July 27th through August right. 1st is the Black Hat conference, yes. And so th there is a, a presentation there where they're going to say, okay, here's everything about it and apparently i mean there there are companies that are still lagging behind but 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 as, but as you say checking the store pr provides it preemptively samsung has issued a fix for example for the galaxy s4 so that the the code the android code itself will no longer um be tricked by a malicious uh app if the app were if the app were changed and digitally signed as as they all have to be yeah and they have now this built in and you should check your Android device to see if it's available, but uh, certainly all Google uh, experience phones will have this verify apps checkbox that uh, will then block or warn before installing apps that may cause harm. That's the code that looks for that particular problem. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So uh, since we talked last, Leo, uh, France or the French uh, government has been added to the list of, of international uh, electronic spying operations and apparently in the case of in case of in the case of the US there's the argument can certainly be made by the NSA that we have legal right to do this and oversight by Congress you know we've discussed right. the how how we feel about that and how and to what degree that seems adequate um but there isn't even that in France, that, I mean, this apparently is entirely illegal, as I understand it. <laughs> well, that's so, France for you. <laughs> so it's like oh, okay. That's a, some people. I, I was surprised the number of people who tweeted me. Well, everybody else is doing it. Uh, uh, one person tweeted me. You know, you know, the founding fathers were doing it. So what's wrong? You know, it's like well, that doesn't excuse it. And we do have this thing called the Fourth Amendment. Yeah. And uh, let's let's honor this. The Constitution seems to have worked for us pretty well so far. Yeah, if nothing else, we it's it's really true that there we know that there are going to be countervailing forces. There's going to be pressure. There, I mean, tension requires things pushing against each other, and so it certainly makes sense 
for people that are to, for people to be concerned about privacy, to be really upset at the idea that that they're being monitored all the time, everything they do by the government. And if they want to march around with signs on the Fourth of July, I say more power to them. Yep. I you know you know that's not me, but yes, I I'm glad they're there. Uh, you know, calling attention to it. And I tweeted as soon as this happened uh, last week that our friend uh, on the run, Edward Snowden, was, has been offered asylum first by Venezuela and then quickly followed by Nicaragua and Bolivia. And I got a kick out of the fact that B B Bolivia added themselves after the plane of the president of Bolivia, uh, Evo Morales, was forced to reroute last week and land in Vienna over suspicions that Snowden might have been aboard and headed to Bolivia. I mean, he was, you know, <laughs> just furious. Yeah. So basically he was denied international access to international airspace and his plane was, you know, forced to reroute because other countries said, no, you can't come into our airspace clearly from pressure from the u.s right. saying maybe snowden is aboard you know we want to inspect that plane this is how you make friends in the international community wow yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh-huh yeah now on a home note there is a really rather disturbing uh dropbox two-factor authentication bypass oh, no. which is in the news uh yeah, I I don't remember what Dropbox's slogan is. Sim oh, simplify your life, I think it is. Anyway, I saw on one of these reports, Dropbox, simplify your hack. <laughs> <laughs> we make it easy. So, okay, so clearly we know we all know multi-factor authentication is specifically designed to protect you from, for example, keystroke logging or phishing attacks where somebody does something to acquire your account name and password. But the good news is that's no longer enough because they need something you have, not just something you know. Well, not quite. Uh, get a load of this one. This one is just, it's easy enough to describe. So an attacker knows your account name and password, which they would have obtained by key logging, phishing, whatever. And the point is that's why you have multi-factor authentication. Dropbox never verifies the authenticity of email addresses which are used to sign up for a new account. They don't bother. So a hacker creates a new temporary account adding an extra dot anywhere in the email address. We've talked about, for example, how Google considers that, a, you know, the same address. So like if you're, you know, john.wilson or j.ohn.wilson at gmail.com, they're all the same. So Dropbox apparently treats this differently in different instances. If there's a dot in the email address when you're signing in, they treat it as a different account, but they are still linked by the fact that the only difference in the left-hand part of the email address is the dotness or the dot placement. So you create a new, the bad guy creates a new temporary account, just adding a dot somewhere in the email address, enables 
two-factor authentication for the temporary account and saves the long emergency recovery string. Keeps that. Logs out of the temporary account. Logs in to the account he wants to attack that differs only by a dot in the email address. So logs in with the account name and password, which he has, using the real credentials. Because two-factor authentication all has always been enabled in that first account, the website will then prompt you for the one-time passcode. You click on, I lost my phone. Then it says, what's your emergency recovery code? You give it the one you received on the other bogus temporary account and your, and that disables two-factor authentication for this account, and you're now in. Unbelievable. <laughs> seems what like a flaw. A, what a mess. <laughs> you know, they're having their, they had yesterday their big uh, oh. Dropbox conference uh, uh-huh. in San Francisco. Yeah, this has been out for a few days, so probably just yeah. in the nick of time. Yeah, it's, it's funny, I went back to, I was following the stories, and I always like to go back to the root to get, you know, from the horse's mouth, uh, and that page is gone now. It's like, oh. uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'll bet some mad attorneys hmm. called and threatened all kinds of nonsense you. DMCA, you know, yeah. crap. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so too anyway, late. everyone knows the horse is out of the barn. Yep. It's too late. Too exactly. Late. So uh, uh, that's a problem. I hope it's going to be fixed soon. Um, and this is a little disturbing, but not very much, I guess. I just I thought I'd mention it because I saw a, a number of people picked up on it. TechCrunch reported that Google's and others are reportedly paying Adblock Plus oh. to show ads anyway. Oh, isn't that disappointing? It is, actually. Yeah. Now, the good news is you can, in the, in the standard settings for Adblock Plus, and I use it like crazy. It's not that I don't want ads. I just don't want them flashing neon, you know, wake up and look at me when I'm trying to read something. They're just really obnoxious. So if you know if the ads just sat there, if they just laid there, I I'd like okay, fine. You know, I just I'm not here to read them, but I wouldn't mind. So I mean, I have AdBlock Plus installed everywhere just because it quiets the page down so that I can see what I'm doing. And uh, there is a under filter preferences, allow some non-intrusive advertising, which is enabled by default. You can turn that off, and then it removes it all. So, um, so you know, that's good. Um, and this apparently is a way for them to generate some revenue for themselves. It's like, well, okay, I don't Yeah, but by putting ads, but, this exactly. is all about not having ads. Yes, and, and then the point has been made that that means then the big guys that can pay to circumvent yeah, the filter get, get their ads, and the smaller advertisers, you know, can't. So it does skew it. Oh. So since we talked, Leo, I finished Stephen King's novel, Under the Dome. Uh, in fact, I'm, I think I finished it not long after, because I remember I quoted you. I was like, I may, maybe I was at 73% or right. something, and, right. and you chuckled because I knew you, I knew that because I was reading on a Kindle. Right. And yes, I was. <laughs> but at 83%, I sent email to Jenny, and I said, and this is not a, this is, doesn't give anything away, but I think you'll... Uh, this summarizes it nicely. I wrote to her, Under the Dome 
turns out to be science fiction. Now, yeah, obviously, I guess if yeah, a force-filled dome, dome, yeah, yeah but yeah. no, who knows? It could have been some incantation of could the be magic, sure, of Eastwick sure. or something. Yeah, 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 it could exactly. Yeah. Turns out to be sci-fi. Yeah, um, I guess it had to be. I wrote, but I'm now at eighty-three percent, and it just surprised me with an entirely new idea hmm. in science fiction very cleverly based upon the universal natural amorality of youth before maturity brings an understanding and respect for the inherent rights of others by virtue of their equal right to exist i, I love that's not a spoiler <laughs> i loved the book i loved the book Good. I thought you was- didn't mind the ending cuz i haven't read it yet but paul Paul felt like it was kind of a weak ending. I loved it. No, okay. I thought the I, I re, I've seen other people who thought the ending was a problem. I did not at all. I thought it was con- entirely consistent with the entire theme. Right. And frankly, there were many messages in this book. I mean, it was it was really thought provoking, and you know, it wasn't just you know. I think we have a new thing. Stephen King fan, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I don't know that they're all that way, but I'll tell you, not the TV series. Oh my God, Leo, it is horrifically <laughs> well, that's awful. Bad. That's really a shame. it is. It is. It is really bad. It's a guy, but bad actors. But also, it's just you know the only thing that survived is you know based on a Stephen King novel and the name. <laughs> it, that's it. They've just it's they've just they just trashed it. It's just awful. So you know. Uh, oh, and. I also have read and reread Ender's Game since we spoke oh, last. What a great book! It, it is. It is yeah. just. I'm not fabulous. a fan of Orson Scott Card's politics, but you know what? Nope. Many science fiction authors have bizarre, incompatible politics with mine. That doesn't mean they're not yeah, great and, writers. And, you know, he's a great I, he, writer. He's not asking me to vote for him. No, he's asking me no. to and say, "Hey, you know, there's nothing the overtly political in the book. The book is great. Yeah. No, I saw nothing. He, yeah. they, you know, they were. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. So, um. Uh, oh, a little spin ride update. Um, so I met a, I, I, I finished the round of work I was working on mm-hmm. and I'm about to start on the next round. So, uh, there were, as always the case, and, and again, this is why test, test, test. Uh, we found in maybe a hundred systems, there was one or two where the keyboard controller was acting differently than any other computer anyone had. As weird as that sounds, what what happened, you know, we were talking about the original 8088 with its 1 megabyte limit mm-hmm. of of memory and how and how if you've got 20 bits that's that so those are address lines A0 through A19 because remember <laughs> 0 is a number um, yeah, let's always, not forget. I, I, let's not forget, like the crypto guys did. Yeah, the, 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 the crypto cat guys did. Um, so when you when you go past a megabyte, like you know, all, to all ones, one, 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 all the way up to nineteen, and then you add one to that, it wraps around to zero. But if you don't have actually twenty bits. It doesn't wrap around. It goes, you know, to a million and one, a megabyte and one. Well, when they when when IBM came out with the AT, it had 
24 bits, it went to 16 megs. That is with the, using the 286 chip. So, but, so that meant there was a problem. Because they, believe it or not, there was software written for the original PC that depended upon the wrap. It oh. used the fact oh. that there was that wraparound. Oh. Lord knows why oh, anyone dear. would do that, but yeah. they did. It's like, okay, well, okay. Uh, very much like you know, Google warning people about they're going to change their certificates because things you should absolutely never have done, well, people did. So it's like, okay. So, so what happened was... IBM was forced to to create something called, and it's famous among veterans of the PC, called the A20 line or the A20 signal. I remember that. that. Was, yes, yes. That was the next address line. And so what, what happened was when the system starts up, and it's booting. It's always booting in compatible mode because even if it's an AT, the IBM PC AT, the the keyboard. So so what happened was they 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 had this extra. Okay, I'm getting I'm sort of scrambled this, but they the chip itself is producing up to through address twenty three zero through twenty address twenty three, and the problem is software wants to, is expecting that a million, when you go past a million, you go back to zero, not to a million and one. But the chip itself went to a million and one. What IBM did was, is, is, is it's a kludge for all time. This is the definition of kludge, <laughs> is they took an unused pin from the keyboard controller yeah. just because they didn't use all of the pins. Right on something completely unrelated to anything else, the keyboard controller, and they ran it over and they shorted it to the 20th, the A20, which is actually the 21st, technically, the A20 address line holding it to ground. So that when when you went to a million and one, the million got got shorted out and lost, like to zero, was forced to a zero, and so all you saw was one. So it acted just like a PC that actually wraps around at a million. And using this uh, this random pin, that's like the, the keyboard controller was actually a microcontroller, an 8042 microcontroller, which was mask programmed on the original PC to to receive input from the keyboard and later from the from the PS2 mouse when, when they added a mouse input. And and so it was it wasn't very busy doing very much. It just had to talk to a few lines on the keyboard and it had an 8-bit port. So they said, "Oh, look, here's an extra pin. No, we're not using for anything. We'll call that A20." And so the point is any software that wants to turn the wrap off as I do, as HiMem.sys does, as any extended memory manager must, needs to be able to turn on to enable, as it's called, the A20 line. And so now we're, you know, we're in, what is we, like 20, 25 years ago. It's, but you've got to maintain it for compatibility, man. Yes. And so, so here's Spinrite booting up its, its own OS and essentially what I have ended up writing is my own internal extended memory manager. So I have a full extended memory manager now running 
and rather mature, fully tested by hundreds of people in our news groups. And, and it goes out, it inventories a system memory, it finds all the ranges, it allocates the 32 megabytes of, of upper extended memory that it's going to be needing for its 64K sector, huge buffers in order to get maximum performance in, the, in this next version of Spinrite. And it needs to turn on the A20 line. And it turns out that there were, there was, there were a couple chips, you know, being a careful programmer, if I want to change one pin... The right way to change one bit in a, in a register is you read what's there, you set the bit, only, you, you change only the bit you want, and then you put it back so that, so that other bits that may have other purposes that you don't know about aren't going to get altered. Well, it turns out that, that one person had two old machines... <laughs> Which, where reading the byte, it came, re- reading the bit, oh, it was, it, what was happening is when, when it was running what we're calling spin test, which is the platform that we're evolving for doing all, all of this, this next generation testing, it would reboot his machine. And so I was scratching my head thinking, well, how can I be rebooting the machine? Turns out that's what the zero bit does on the <laughs> keyboard controller. It pulls down the reset line. Wow. Processor. So the zero wow. bit reboots the machine. The one bit is the A20 line. And so when, when you read on this, on this obscure... Must been, was that so a keyboard could reboot or something? Oh, it's, it's so that... I mean, it's... Well, it's like, how would you perform a reset? Um, I mean, you needed some you need way something. of doing the equivalent of... Hardware the reset, button. yeah. Uh, exactly, a hardware reset. So they use the keyboard controller, one of the bits there, to do that. And so when I was reading that port, even though it was technically a one, it was reading to me, it was reading back as a zero. And so when I, so I was then turning bit, bit, the the second bit on and writing it back and resetting the machine. And so we figured out what the problem was. And I thought, oh, I don't ever want to write a zero to bit zero (laughs) of the keyboard port. And so... Now I never do. Now I always or that with a one. Captain sure Kipper said you bit off more than you could chew. <laughs> so we have uh, the A20 line working, extended memory, uh, extended memory manager built in. It's also compatible with external memory managers. So if you have one that you want to use, Spinrite sees that it's there. Has it turned on the A20 line for it? Has it find the memory for it and then takes its buffers from it? And a complete PCI bus enumeration is working and bulletproof. Uh, and so now we move forward. I'm going to now write the low-level driver uh, as soon as the podcast is over uh, and begin to move forward. Awesome. Are you not awesome? Yep. You are amazing. We're getting there. <laughs> it's going to be good. We're having a ball over in the news groups. How fun. Do you want to do the photo thing before we uh, do, I mean, the book thing before we do or oh, no, That was I, the book I, thing, I, the Stephen yeah. King. Okay. It's Stephen King. Then let's take a break, and then we're going to come back with uh, SSL and perfect forward secrecy. But uh, our show today brought to you by our friends at audible.com. By the way, under the dome, I know you were a Kindle reader, but you can absolutely listen to it on audible.com. In fact, I highly recommend it. That's how uh, Paul listened to it. Audible is a great place to hear great books read to you by professionals who make these books come alive. If you are, if you're looking now, I think you should read more Stephen King. 
Yeah, I, I really like hard hard. I'm gonna go back to sci-fi. No, but you, you well, oh, you okay? He doesn't have sci-fi. <laughs> I, got, exactly. I haven't read Peter Hamilton. No, yeah, and I'm listening to uh, Great North Road, which is long. Yeah, uh, but you know, it does tie into, I believe, his universe, his uh, Dreaming Void universe. So. I am, I'm only about halfway through. We are big fans of Peter F. Hamilton, Steve and I. 36 hours. And it, what it is is a procedural murder mystery set in 2143. And with Peter F. Hamilton's amazing... He, uh, he's a great writer. His characterizations, his people are not paper thin. They're very real. But he also, and I think this is really the reason I listen to science fiction, I know you too, uh, is, is full of ideas. Yes, really new stuff. Uh, new stuff. And, I, you know, science fiction can can live on that. And a lot of science fiction is very thin in terms of, you know, characterization. It's all plot-driven. Not Hamilton stuff. Uh, we suggest you start, if you're looking for a book, and I'm going to give you this book for free if you want, with his, uh, what is it, Dragon, Falling Dragon, right? Oh, yes. That's the first one. That's the one you should listen to. It's a single yep. volume. A lot of these are... <laughs> trilogies and uh and if you think 56 hours is a long time i mean uh, you know they go on and on and on um i don't see falling dragon that can't be that's fallen. not f-a-l-l-e-n you know fallen. it was on here sometimes publisher rights uh revert and things like that mm. let's just check uh i think it's no longer uh in the audible mm. canon that makes me sad it'll probably be back probably we got to get these publishers under control. It's not Audible's fault. They do everything. <laughs> they recorded it, for crying out loud. They don't want to sit on it, but I guess the rights reverted, and it's pre they're probably renegotiating it. However, there are other great Peter F. Hamiltons to listen to. I think Pandora's Star would be another good one to start with. Oh, goodness, yes. Again, you're in for a project, but it's fabulous. Yeah. You know, a beautiful universe. He's such a great writer. Great he North is. Road is a single book, a long single book, but Pandora's Star, I'm trying to remember if is. Actually, I think this is the universe. In fact, I'm sure yes, of it. Correct. It is the Pandora Star universe because yes. we had Ollie and 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 the neat detective gal. Yeah. Uh, with a yeah, P. What's her P, name? Patty, Patricia. Yeah, uh, uh, can't get it. I know who you're thinking of. It's been a long time. Love these books. And they stand on their own. I mean, you could read just Pandora Paula, Star. Paula. Paula, Paula Moyo. Something yep. like that. Yeah. Anyway, why are we talking about this? Because you can get great <laughs> books... Oh, look, Audible has now got the great courses. I didn't know this. Oh, now, oh, geez, Louise. So wow. this, I used, to, I used to buy these. Now you can listen to them as part of your Audible subscription. If you want to learn uh, daily life in the ancient world, uh, practicing mindfulness, an introduction to meditation, the science of natural healing, um, these, are, these are great lectures, the great courses, famous audio lectures, from the Great Courses series. This is the one I just uh, finished, and I loved it, and I paid a lot for it. How to Listen to and Understand Great Music, 36 Hours. It's, I can't remember, 20 or 30 lectures, maybe more. Really fabulous. Do they have How to Look at and Appreciate Flowers? Not yet. Okay. But this is part of the Great Courses series. I'm, fast, I'm amazed that this is now an Audible. Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> This listen. This starts. No, this, that's high quality content. Like oh, that. these are. This guy is a great professor, a great lecturer, and when you listen to this, uh, and you can you can break it up into pieces too. By the way, but when you listen to this, you will understand music in a way that you never did before, and it really gives you a great uh, preparation 
Now, we need to explain to people that they're, we're, what we're recommending is competing with their time available to listen to podcasts. I don't care. I don't so care. remember, they would never have found out about this if yes. it weren't for the podcast. Keep podcasts. listening to the podcasts. This is where it came from. It's okay. Books. You know what happens is you listen to books and then you want to listen to podcasts. You break it up. You break it up. Yeah, there are lots of catch-up sessions where they go, okay, I've been away now because right. I was doing yeah, that. I was listening. I, you, you got me started on the Honor Harrington series. Peter Hamilton. Oh, yeah. yeah. And now 30 books <laughs> later. later. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I'll tell you, you're going to love this. The bookstore, the best bookstore in the world, 100,000-plus uh, titles in every category, fiction, nonfiction, history, biography, thrillers. And I, and, uh, I got to tell you, oh, you know, I wonder, somebody's saying The Great Courses has a good quantum mechanics I don't know if they have all of the great courses. It'd be great. I would like to hear what kind of physics uh, stuff they have. Not, 1066, the year that changed everything. Wow. The 30 greatest orchestral works. The African experience from Lucy to Mandela. Big history. Big bang. Life on Earth and the rise of humanity. That's going to be good. Wow. A brief history of the world. Only 19 hours. Churchill. Consciousness and... Oh, I'm so mad at you all. <laughs> I'm so mad. Oh, espionage and covert operations, a global history. Oh, oh man. What See, fun. if you know what? I, I went to college for a couple of years. And I wasn't I was too young. I there was too many other distractions. Now I want to absorb this information. This is a great way to do it. The rise and fall of China. <gasps> Foundations of Western civilization, a history of the modern Western world. Wait, wait, has China fallen? Uh, they're talking about no. <laughs> they're talking about the fall of the of dynastic China. Oh, for okay. sure. Not not modern China. Not modern China. Pre communist oh. China. World of the medieval world. Oh, I'm so sad. I am never this is it. Three hundred forty seven <laughs> of the best lectures in history of the Supreme Court. Lost Leo. You have. I yeah. wish I had I wish I could listen to Audible twenty hours a day, I swear. I love it. Here's the deal. Go to Audible dot com right now. Actually, yeah, we've got a special deal. If you go to audiblepodcast.com slash security now, you'll be signed up for the gold account. That's a book a month, and your first one's free. So you pick your course, pick your book. The, oh, it just goes on and on. The Skeptic's Guide to American History. Wouldn't that be good? Mm. The be, these are, They pick the best college professors, uh, and they take their courses, and they record them in audio. Feynman, I wonder if Feynman did physics. The I think the Feynman... Um, books are on here i know i've listened to quite a bit of Feynman stuff on here yeah uh his lectures on physics are on here uh, now this is not for the the uh <laughs> not no. for the weak at heart <laughs> no. uh these are brilliant his volume one quantum mechanics if you want to just if you think steve's a propeller head uh, just listen to these but Feynman has such a great voice um Feynman, he's a, he's a fabulous teacher Feynman on light let me just play a little bit of this now, the quality's not great because these were recorded at his uh, Caltech lectures many years ago. And that's a simple photon picture, which we will describe very roughly only. But the complete picture, which unifies the whole thing into one model, will not be available. It's as if Tony Soprano was explaining physics to you. It's great. You're going to love it. Look at all of these Feynman lectures are on. This, I think that's the whole Red Book. <gasps> Holy. Oh, Steve, I'm mad at you now. I wish you hadn't brought that up. <laughs> this is, you see the problem. Just choose one. Audiblepodcast.com slash security. Now your first one's free, but yeah, that's what they all say. You're going to get hooked. You're going to get hooked. Audiblepodcast.com slash security. Now, please 
Don't get too hooked. Come back and listen to security now. Let's talk about perfect forward security. By the way, I noted that CryptoCat, as as of now, in uh, implementing it on their SSL. Yes, uh, for only for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So they they um, but uh, before this came out, so this wasn't a response to this. This was this this predated that. So they were you know they were moving their their uh, their security forward even before it became an issue. So good, good on them. But what is it? Okay, so okay, I got to get back to <laughs> stop <laughs> thinking about Feynman. Okay, yes, exactly. Okay, so why is everyone worried about this all of a sudden? Well, the reason we're worried about it is the specter of big government and the surveillance state recording our internet traffic. And we now know without question, because it's been said in, in, I mean, officially acknowledged, this is not Snowden documents, this is from the NSA that, uh, and worked out with legislation in the FISA court, that they consider anything encrypted to be subject to capture and storage and subsequent later decryption. The fact that it's encrypted makes it suspicious, is their logic. So that means that while we've all been happy that in general the Internet is raising the bar of how much of our overall traffic we're encrypting and, and we're encrypting it more and more, you know, Google famously, we've, we've you know, we've, we've been basically been chronicling this over the life of this podcast because when we began, people were only going into secure mode to log on and then dropping back out for the efficiency of not using SSL eight years ago. That's no longer the case. More and more we're seeing, like GRC, for example, is you can only access my servers Securely, Same thing with Facebook in the default case now. Google now makes it available and so forth. So, so the problem, though, is that for a long time we were comfortable, except when we really looked closely at the architecture of SSL because there is a – I don't want to call it a fault – but it is a weakness that has always been present in the SSL that we've always been using. And that is as follows. The private key, as we know, when we connect to a remote server securely, the private key is something that only the server has. And the public key is signed by a certificate authority to authenticate that the public key belongs to the entity we want to connect to. Only the entity we want to connect to who has the matching private key that they never disclose is able to decrypt what is encrypted with the public key. So when an SSL connection is established, and anybody who wants more depth can go back to the podcast where we did 
SSL, that we have an SSL podcast, which is takes this thing apart step by step. I'm going to go, going to take the high points that are relevant here um, because we have covered it in full detail in the past. The, the user who, who is the client wants to connect to the server. They generate a random number and the list of cipher, the, the list of cipher suites that they support. And I'll explain exactly what that is in a second. They send that to the server. The server has its own list of cipher suites that it supports. And so essentially what, it's, what the server has received from the user is, I know all of these different crypto technologies and, and I've listed them in the order I think I would like you to choose them. Hopefully strongest to least strong. The server looks at that list, compares it with its list. It has its own list of things it, it knows. And so it, the idea is that it, it chooses, the, the, it, the server, chooses the, the strongest cipher that appears on both lists, is the best way to say that. And it generates a random number, which it sends back to the client. That is, so it sends... The, the cipher it chose, the random number it chose, and its certificate. This is the certificate that it got signed by the authority asserting to its identity and containing its public key. So now the client says, okay, I know how to communicate cryptographically in a way that we both understand. Because from its big list, one was chosen by the server and sent back. The client has knows its random number and the server's random number, um, so which form part of the handshake. And this is where I'm not going to go into great detail because I did before. Um, it it generates a, another random number completely separate from that, which and it mixes all this together and it encrypts that with the server's public key and sends that back to the server. Now, that's the key because this certificate has been used for authentication and the certificate containing the public key has also been used for encryption. That is, what the client encrypts under the server's public key is the final agreed key that they're going to be using for their conversation. This is the, this is the symmetric key much shorter, 128 bits, maybe 256, typically not much more than that because that's still plenty, which is encrypted with the server's public key sent back to the server under the theory that only the server can decrypt it. Now, what's the problem? The problem is with this, with this particular approach, 
the same key that is essentially the server's private key is protecting both the authentication, that is, that it's asserting its identity, and the encryption because the, the data exchanged is protected by encrypting with a public key which can be decrypted only with the server's private key. And so that's the problem. If, if the threat model is anyone storing your encrypted traffic, if there's somebody on the line, as we know there is, I mean, if we, we don't know that there isn't somebody inside the organization, I contend, as I did at the beginning of the podcast, and we've discussed it before, well, we, we don't know. We may, we, may, we, we may never know. We do absolutely know they're outside tapping the internet, tapping the fiber optics all over the place and sucking in encrypted traffic. So what does the, what does the tapping person get? The person who is tapping the line gets all of the communications passing in both directions. And if, as my theory, they're right down at the spigot feeding Google – then they're going to see the client traffic going in and the server traffic coming back and be able to extract the conversation, as it's called, this, this SSL connection between TCP endpoints at the client and the server and log that as, as its own thread. That is, here is a piece of communication which we cannot today decipher. And we believe that it is still extremely difficult for them to decrypt it. Well, all they have to do is compel the release of the private key. That is, if they are recording all of the traffic, then, then the NSA can say, we have a national security need to access traffic in the past, we need your private key. Yeah. They can do that with a national security letter, and you never even know. Correct. And if they have the private key, then that, because that is, the, that is protecting both authentication and encryption, they can decrypt, just as the server could, that final packet containing the agreed-upon keying material for this symmetric cipher, just as the server does, and that then gives them access to the entire stream, just as both server and client had. Now, the, the creepy thought I had was, imagine this. Imagine that the NSA says, okay, you know, we don't want to be too onerous. We, we understand that it represents a problem for you to give us your private key. But, you know, <clears throat> you're going to be expiring those every two or three mm-hmm. years. Yeah. So we'd like to have it after you're done with it. Oh. Because they're storing it all. Yes. Psh, no problem. So all they have to do is say, uh, don't delete that. Just we want it when you're done. After you've replaced it with your new keys, we want the old ones. There might be some precedent there because they've already said, uh, and I think the law agrees, that 
after six months, nobody really owns that data. It's it's old data. So what's wrong yeah. with having the key to it? Yeah, and, and I mean, what's the argument? It's like, well, they're, they're never saying they want the key we're using. Right. They're just saying, give us your old keys. We'd like to have those. And wow. by the way, you know, that's patriotic. Okay. So I, it just occurred to me as I was putting this together, it's like, ooh, you know, they don't have to demand the current one. I mean, maybe if there's something, you know, that the, an absolute clear and present danger, oh, my God, we are absolutely sure a, there's a terrorist attack is imminent. We have to have this. You will, who's going to say no? But for it seems to me that it's entirely feasible yeah, that they just say, give us your keys yeah, when you're done. You're, you're going to be getting rid of them anyway. Every two or three yeah, years, you're wrote. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you keep yeah. you keep the new ones. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll be keeping all the new traffic yeah. for when you expire those keys. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure very, that's happening. That's very, that's good. That's doesn't right. it make sense? Sure, it absolutely makes sense. Sure. That's why I said I'm sure I, I'm not the first person to think about this, so I can mention it's it. Odd. So it's almost how obvious. do we how do we prevent that? The prevention has has always been present, but even now is barely being used, and that's this notion of these cipher suites. A, a cipher suite it consists of it's a it's in math. Math jargon, we call it a tuple. It's a, it's like a number of parameters. It's the how are we going to exchange our keys? What algorithm are we going to use for, oh, for example, how are we going to exchange our keys? Well, RSA is what I was just talking about, using the RSA public key in order to protect the, the contents of the agreed upon key as it finally goes over the wire. A different approach is called is, is Diffie-Hellman. And we've talked about Diffie-Hellman a lot. The Diffie-Hellman Key Agreement Protocol, very famous. Um, and it's a protocol that allows two parties to exchange keys in plain view such that somebody eavesdropping, not an active attacker but a passive attacker, uh, someone watching them cannot figure out what the final keys are. And it's very clever. Um, so there are different key, uh, key exchange methods. Then there's the next part of, the, of this tuple is what's our cipher going to be? Shall we use AES? Shall we use RC4? Shall we use DES? You know, the, the data encryption standard or... Um, and and so forth. So what is our cipher? Then, and then the next part of the tuple is, oh, and how long is that symmetric key going to be? 128 bits? Back in the old days, remember, it was 56 bits or 64 or even 40 at one point, uh, back when there were export restrictions that, that required that. So, so, so the idea was, I mean, the, this flexibility was built into SSL specifically so that it could be it could meet export restrictions so that you could use a weak cipher on some connections and a strong cipher on others by essentially it's like choosing one from column a one from column b one from column c one from column d column d is what are we going to use for our message authentication code? The MAC algorithm, to, you know, typically SHA is 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 used in order to to verify that the message has not been tampered with. So, 
So the idea is that the client will be equipped with, with software protocols with various combinations of these. For example, you might have um, SSL with RSA with uh, exportable 40-bit using RC4 encryption and MD5 uh, authentication. I just actually, that's one that is, that's in the list. Um, and in fact, Leo, there's a link here in my notes under SSL slash TLS Cypher Suites. If you click the link and scroll down about half a page, you can see that this has all been standardized. All these Cypher Suites have been standardized by the IANA for use in SSL and TLS. And so the key is that the all of pretty much the majority of the connections today being made are with RSA that the original oldest um, trusted we know how this works everybody supports it um, key exchange method but many browsers today and many servers today support what's called Diffie Hellman ephemeral DHE ephemeral specifically means just for the moment so this is diffie dhe diffie hellman ephemeral is is a is a technology that is decoupled and this is the key decoupled from the server's authentication and as i just said with diffie hellman a third party observing the interchange gets no knowledge that is exactly the protection we want of in our SSL connections from long-term archiving. Long-term archiving and, late, and subsequent revelation of the, the, the server's private key doesn't give anybody any help in cracking Diffie-Hellman ephemeral protection. Now, one of the reasons this has not been used, and for the same reason super long public keys have not been used, is speed. Diffie-Hellman uh, is about three times slower to, in terms of computational burden to establish a key pair between the endpoints. So there's a much bigger burden, which really ends up being focused on the server because it's the one that where all these SSL endpoints are terminating. The user ends up having, you know, two connections in HTTP 1.1 going to the server and then reusing those connections. Um, so um, there is a ver there, there's a, a newer variant called elliptic curve, E-C-D-H-E, elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman ephemeral key exchange, um, which is dramatically less burdensome. And Adam Lang Lanley over at Google, who we've spoken of before, uh, who's a, a cryptographer and security guy, he recently did some work on finding some some very efficient elliptic curve algorithms that would further lower the, the computational overhead. He did this in uh, uh, with some other cryptographers. Um, and so, so those are available and have been standardized. Here's the problem, though. Um, uh, and I mentioned this a little bit before. I would love to be offering Diffie-Hellman ephemeral connections. Not that 
we need them for GRC. I mean, there's nothing happening at GRC that, you know, we don't have like user accounts and, and so forth that the NSA is, is going to be going to care about. You know, we've got people grabbing perfect paper passwords and perfect passwords and stuff. It's like, OK, um, still, I would of course, I would love to have it. But Microsoft does not offer a any Diffie-Hellman ephemeral in column A that also has RC4, which is the cipher, in column B. Unfortunately, they're all CBC, cipher block chaining, and that's the, that's the uh, encryption protocol which is vulnerable to the beast attack. So if my if GRC in 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 the remember this is all about the order in which the ciphers are chosen and right now I've had to in order to be in order to get an A score on SSL labs and give people comfort that they're not vulnerable to the beast attack which is you know really not a problem but you know yes it's a weakness in S, in SSL I've had to put um a cipher suite SSL with RSA, RC4, 128-bit key length or uh, uh, cipher key length, and SHA. That's it's number five on the hit parade of IANA cipher in the cipher suites. That's got to be my first one, and it's the only choice I have. I am hoping that Microsoft will get on the ball here, and at some point will update the cipher suites on not only their latest and greatest server, but, you know, which would be, you know, 2012, but also uh, 2008, which I'm using. Uh, and then, absolutely, I would love to put, not, I would love to put Diffie-Hellman ephemeral cipher suites up at the top of the list if they've also got RC4, or all, actually, if we even had a smarter server, because the later versions of TLS of transport layer security 1.1 and 1.2 are not vulnerable to the beast attack. They have fixed that. But the problem is the server is not currently smart enough to see that the client is willing to do TLS 1.1 or 1.2 and then therefore, you know, choose a proper suite. Right now, the 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 SSL version doesn't affect the choice of cipher suites. And, oh, my God, it would be so cool if it did. I don't know why nobody's done that yet, but they haven't. So that's the story. Um, essentially, we're, we're in another one of these sort of transition periods. Um, I've seen some stats that show that since Firefox and Chrome are both supporters of ephemeral Diffie-Hellman key exchange... About a third, about 33% of both of those browsers' overall Internet traffic is using perfect forward secrecy. And, of course, again, what that means is that every time you make a connection, the key is negotiated for that connection and isn't used in other connections and is then the same and, and no capturing of traffic and later analysis will easily reveal that. You'd have to do a brute force crack on that one conversation. And then if you wanted another conversation from the same guy, go through a whole brute force crack on that again. And as far as we know, that just still takes too long to make it feasible. But we are seeing 
perfect forward secrecy beginning to happen. I, I've, I've, in trying to figure out like why it's not more widespread, one of the things I've, I've sort of picked up on is people are, are liking the fact like web server vendors are, or, or, or corporations are liking the fact that they get credit for spending money on the EA certificate, on having the, 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 you know, the extended validation, the EV, sorry, EV, extended validation certificate. It's, you know, lights up green on the address bar and it's like, oh, okay, they, you know, that seems like good. And of course it is because it also means that your connection cannot be intercepted without you knowing it or at least without losing EV as long as you're using one of the good browsers. There is no indication on the so-called Chrome, on the UI, the user interface of a browser, any browser, if perfect forward secrecy is in effect. And I don't have time to write browser extensions now. I'm working on Spinrite, and that's, that's what I should be working on. But that would be a nice thing for browser vendors to do. It ought to be built into the browser itself. And that's not an interesting as, idea. Make it yeah. A, could you make it an extension? It could be an extension for sure. It doesn't have to be I, built into the browser. It could be a browser extension. Yeah, uh, yeah, it could be a browser extension. But boy, it would be it would make so much sense to start giving bo- you know brownie points, bonus points if when connections are perfectly for, have perfect forward and, and, secrecy. And the browser would do it, but but the other end would have to do it as well. So it's got to yes, it's mutual. Both ends. It's like SSL. Yes, bo- yeah, b- exactly. Both ends need to agree on on that on on ephemeral Diffie-Hellman on, on any ephemeral Diffie-Hellman um, key exchange. But then it would be cool if the browser said, hey, look, the server... And, see, and, and, the, and the point is, this is much more work for the server. So the server's only really going to be willing to do that if it's going to get some credit. And it's, uh, so it's up to the browsers mm. to say, hey, the yeah. server is giving you perfect forward yes. secrecy. Yes. So nobody, tr- you know, because it's remember, it's the server that has the private key that is otherwise vulnerable. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. An interesting topic. I'm not sure I understood it, but uh, I'm sure many did. <laughs> and for them, that's why we do this show. Steve Gibson. Well, but the creepiness of the I the idea Means it's that the, moot. the NSA yeah. could be saying, "Give us your used up yeah. keys; yeah. those are useful to us." Yeah. That just makes so much sense to me. And even if you're using perfect forward secrecy, two years from now, if I have the keys, doesn't matter. Correct. Does not matter. It will not. It does not weaken your your privacy. Yeah. That's oh, so you're saying perfect forward secrecy would protect me in the future as well? Yes. Ah. Yes. Well, yes. now we must use it. That's what the forward means. Forward, forward into in time. The, perfect yeah. forward into the future. Yeah. Yes. Mm, even if you had the even if you had the keys. Even even if the NSA coerces or somehow gets the keys from anyone, that doesn't matter. Does not help them because the key is in in as long as you're using an authentication that is separate from your key exchange, then you're safe. Because all the NSA is going to get is the authentication key, not the key exchange crypto. Well, I think the time has clearly come for software folks, whether it's Firefox, Chrome, Safari, or somebody new, to recognize that there's a market demand for secrecy. Yes. And uh, to start filling that market demand. And I think it would be perfectly yes. sensible for somebody to create a browser, the secret browser. 
Yep. You know, we honor <laughs> yep. your do not yeah, tracks. We're, we're, we honor, yes. you know, we use, we yep. implement perfect forward secrecy when a server supports it. Things like yep. that. You're right. It's an I, opportunity. I, 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 yep. And I think if anything, maybe Mozilla is now suffering from their size. Yeah. There's just too much bureaucracy and politics for them to do that. Look at the trouble that they've yeah. got. You know, with with infighting among developers saying, oh, well, we're going to remove the JavaScript, you know. Well, there's no way in this browser you were just imagining, Leo, right. that they're going to take away the disabled <clears throat> JavaScript button. Right. But it's gone now in right. the next version of Firefox. It would implement HTTPS everywhere. Yep. Yep. It would absolutely tell you when you had it. Oh, and many people have been asking for me to do a browser plugin that, that does my my certificate verification it would do that you know it, it would that I hope would be somebody's listening in. with some skills it would have to be a group of people obviously writing a browser is no longer a uh, one man show if it ever was no. No. um but boy i'd love to see that there are a lot of people who would say okay i'm using the secure browser why not yep the secrecy uh, counts browser yeah. yeah exactly why not why not standards compliant and yet it's got all the other goodies and the truth is, you know, what's going to happen is the populace is going to become more aware. Bad guys have, I think, long known that it's a bad idea to use the Internet to plan yeah. their plots. So they've stopped doing that. Well, or remember, Leo, we're talking about encryption of the tunnel. There's nothing to prevent you from encrypting the data through the tunnel, right. which is what a VPN does. Right. So, so if you if you do, and and, and that's the point of of CryptoCat was you know it is in, in the OTR the off the record chat by the way has perfect forward secrecy. Yeah. OTR is perfectly forward, perfect forwardly secret. Um, and what they what they screwed up on was the group version. But even there, they they're using SSL and they now have perfect forward secrecy on their SSL tunnels. Mm -hmm. So, but the point was, OTR was all was tunneling through SSL, but itself was you know encrypted. So, so the bad guys are using encryption inside the the, the SSL. So, if the NSA did decrypt it, it's like, well, there you go, another layer of encryption. Good luck. Steve Gibson course, is. Go ahead. I was going to say that's why TNO. That's why we say yeah. encrypt everything that you stick up on the internet yeah. in the cloud. Steve Sorry. Gibson is, uh, no, no, no. I just, you know, uh, you know, this show always gets the wheels turning. Uh, he is the man uh, at GRC.com, the Gibson Research Corporation. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at SG, Steve Gibson, GRC. Uh, and if you want to send me notes um, at SGGRC, mentions, as they're called. Mentions, you can just add him. Yep. Uh, and of course, uh, he reads all of those, whether, you know, he follows you or not, or whether, I don't think he follows anybody. I don't, uh, because I just can't. <laughs> follow no one. FNO. Uh, he also uh, is uh, on uh, there if you have a question, because next week we'll answer questions. So grc.com slash feedback is the address. You'll also find, of course, Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance utility on his site. Uh, and a lot of free stuff, including 16 kilobit versions of this show for the bandwidth impaired. Transcripts written by a real human hand, Elaine Ferris, who does a great job. So you can read along as you listen. A uh, lot of I hear all over and over again about schools that use this as courseware. We welcome that. That's fabulous. Yep. You, of course, are more than welcome to do that. And I know Steve yep. loves it. 
Uh, and I think those transcriptions will help you quite a bit if you are doing that, grc.com. Now, if you want high-quality audio or video, we have that at our website, twit.tv slash sn. And, of course, wherever podcasts are uh, aggregated. <laughs> Instacast, Pocket Casts, Dog Catcher, iTunes, Zune, all of that. Just look for security now. Thank you, Steve. We will uh, be back here next Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1900 UTC, for our next recording of Security Now. Thanks, Leo. Security Now.